You're listening to audio from Gospel Collective Church. If you'd like to check out additional resources or learn more about us, please visit gcclex.com. Well, good morning, church. Uh, welcome, especially if you haven't been here before. Uh, maybe you've even came the last uh, few weeks, last few months. We're glad you're joining us for our corporate worship here at Gospel Collective Church. If you have your Bibles, open them up to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. Uh, we're going through the book of Luke. It's going to be a few years journey because in between certain sections, uh, we're going to hit some Old Testament books, uh, a few different topics as well. Uh, but right now, uh, as we uh, have read through the birth of Christ and uh, some other stories before his uh, start of ministry and teachings and miracles, uh, a lot of this focus on the identity of Jesus Christ. And so this morning we're going to be covering the Jesus as a teenager of sorts, lost at the temple. Uh, again, love studying God's Word with you. Looking forward to community groups starting next week as you guys talk about how to apply this to your life uh, and accountability with that as well. And so read with me. We're going to be reading verses 41 through 52. And uh, we're going to kind of pause in between uh, every few verses to help explain and apply the text. Uh, I love this story, um, especially as, as I have shared. Uh, it, is one, it is the only uh, count in Scripture that we have out of all four Gospels, which is the story, uh, stories, the narrative of Jesus' time on this earth, uh, giving a glimpse of this age, Jesus at this age. So read with me, starting off with verse 41. It says, Now his parents, talking about Jesus' parents, Mary and Joseph, went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he, talking about Jesus, was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And so continued from last week's sermon in scripture, Jesus's parents partook in the purification ritual. Last week we read about that. He would have been about a few months old around that time. And as they, as it says right here, uh, continued, they went up according to custom. They followed all these rituals um, and they continued such religious observances uh, of the Jewish faith, including the yearly annual Passover feast which for us, even as Christians today, has strong significance for us, especially when later Jesus Christ is crucified, who is the Lamb, the fulfillment of the Passover in His atonement and sacrifice, and what He later institutes for us as God's people today in the church, what we will be partaking in today when it comes to the Lord's Supper. And of course, how that happened, we, he partook in that with the disciples uh, during this Passover later on, and what, again, he tells the church to continue to do today. And so it says, according to their custom, every year, Jesus' family traveled from Nazareth to Jerusalem for the Passover feast, which would have been an estimate 81-mile journey. And this particular trip that is recorded in God's inerrant, inspired, authoritative word, we get an important glimpse from what it says, Jesus being 12 years old. Now, again, I want you guys to have proper perspective of this. And so I'm going to ask my 12-year-old son to come up on stage real quick. Many of you guys, go ahead, give him a hand if you don't know him. This is Liam walking with all his swag to the stage right here. Um, I, I love this kid. He, uh, of course, started uh, his first year at uh, Beaumont Middle School this past year. And as I mentioned... Liam is 12. Jesus is 12. And I know when we say teenager, I know technically 12 is not teenager. It's not even in the name, like 13, 14, 12. But 
Listen, as one who has served in student ministry many, many years, uh, culturally, when it comes to the world, uh, at 12, there, many kids are exposed to things that are of older things they, they, they should not actually even at times be exposed to. But please believe me, I am seeing, even at his age, him becoming this young man, but he's not exactly a man, he's not exactly a, a child. I'm seeing what this age, kind of teenage years, look like. And so saying all of that, I know it's hard to compare, of course, but I want you to look at my middle school son right here. I'm very proud of this guy, where he is spiritually, how he's growing, maturing over these years. But imagine Jesus as the all day, every day. I know he doesn't have it on right now because probably his mom forced him. Hoodie wearing, shorts wearing. He does have on the Crocs at almost every middle school kid. I want you to imagine the prime in one hand, okay? (laughs) Jesus at the age of 12, okay? So Picture this right here. He's telling me he's going to punch me, so I'll let you leave then. Okay, love you, buddy. Imagine that face a little bit as we read on in this story. It's crazy to think that this was Jesus' age, so keep that in mind as it's the only time we have of occurrence of him at this age, although it does say a little bit of like as he grows and some instruction for us with that as well. So keep that in mind as we read on. Verse 43. And when the feast, the Passover feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. Interesting, it says boy there, by the way. Of course, this is an age, estimate age of when Mary was getting married. And, and again, we know they're starting adulthood, but it does say boy right there, okay? So, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it. But supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey but then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. Now, again, church, if you're fairly even familiar with this story, you know what has came with it so often from preachers like me is a little bit of mockery making fun of like, Mary, Joseph, how do you lose the son of God, right? Like there's the jokes of like parents of the year right here, okay? And then you read even the verse right after this thing, it's verse 46, you see it's a total of five days that they lost him. Five days. I mean like, Parents are always like so fearful of losing their child at Disney World, which Jess and I always thought that would happen with Carter. Can you imagine five days of losing your child? And at the same time, when I study this more, I find that I really can't judge. It was actually the custom in those days that when a company, a large group would travel for these festival pilgrimages, um, they would journey. When they would journey, the women often went ahead with the younger children, and then the men would follow behind them. And so the older, bigger boys would then travel either along with the fathers or their mothers, and Jesus was at that age where it could have been one or the other. Again, that's why I don't feel like we can judge them all that much. They're human. They're not perfect. We're not Roman Catholic. Believe Jesus. I mean, Mary is immaculate. Okay. She made mistakes. Joseph made mistakes. And so in the past, Jesus maybe would have been with his mom and the other younger children. But now at this age, he could have been with his father at 12. So it was probably easily, I thought he was with you. Oh, I thought he was with you, right? Miscommunication in those ways. We all have been there. And they then travel back, says, to Jerusalem. 
and uh, search for him. And then verse 46, this right here starts the revelation of Jesus' identity, which, again, it's important here. Um, as we see this starting to be revealed, un unfold at the age of 12. This is before his baptism. This is before his start of ministry and teachings and miracles, right? But then there's a glimpse here of him starting to reveal who he truly is. Verse 46, after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And so they finally find Jesus at the temple, sitting amongst the teachers, those who have went through uh, certain qualifications to be teachers in the temple themselves. And he's listened to them. He's answering questions. But it says, verse 47, that all who heard 12-year-old boy Jesus in the temple, they were amazed at his understanding and, and answers. This means he wasn't just the one asking questions, but he was answering them as well. The one semi-older commentary written in 1950 said this about this story. It said, quote unquote, this here was a sort of coming out for Jesus. And when I read that, I'm fully aware that does not mean the same thing today what it used to mean in the 1950s. But the coming out they're talking about was Jesus starting to reveal who he truly was both here and what he's going to say in the next few verses to his earthly parents. His true identity as the son of God coming out here based off his own words, not just an angel and the prophecy that was made last week that we read about from Simeon, but out of the mouth of a babe in sorts, older babe, a 12-year-old boy for any type of miracle to display his power and authority. And so at 12, Jesus is giving a hint of his true identity that won't fully more come out until baptism, public ministry. And even then, there were still some things that, that were only observed and known, like the parables revealed to just the, the disciples and later on us, but, but was staying hidden. And it's important because also, church, let me remind you, this is pretty true for our kids as well. Who they are in Christ does start to come out around this age. It can be a hard age of sorts, but if they had a profession of faith, they were baptized as children. This is an age where, again, that identity, the fruit, starts to come out more. Not that, that it doesn't and can't happen as kids, but this is where it's owned. Make sure your teenagers are in discipleship and given opportunity for this identity to be coming out if they have made a profession of faith. And if not here and in this season, in this time, do you think that will happen even more when they are outside of your home? Think about that. You need to be intentional with this. Identity is important. It is. It's important for anyone at any age. But you just think about certain movements 
in this world today and what's attached to identity. I mean, everything from LGBTQ. Think about the importance of identity and what they're teaching and saying. It's important with race. It's important with culture. It's important with customs. And yet it's most important for us as Christians because as our true and most important identity absolutely hinges on what he is starting to reveal right here. The true identity of Jesus Christ. And just like he at his age starts to reveal what that is, it is important for our kids and our teens to start to own their identity and their faith here. More than just following what mom and dad have said or what they have heard in Sunday school or at youth group. More than hearing the Bible stories at family devotions and repeating the catechisms as important as that is, but starting to read it and apply it themselves. Starting to pray themselves. Starting to be a witness themselves. Let's read on verse 48 as we start to see a tension almost between own faith and potential disobedience. Potential key word there, we'll explain. Verse 48. And when Jesus' parents, when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. You may ask as I read that, and I ask why were Jesus' parents, Mary and Joseph, astonished when seeing Jesus? Was it because of what they witnessed when it comes to the teachers of the temple and how they were amazed at his answers and what he was asking and saying? But yet in this astonishment, whether it was because of that or not, it says here, it shows, it reveals that Mary felt disrespected in some type of way. In fact, she asked Jesus why he had treated them in this way. What way did he treat her exactly? It makes mention of how her and Joseph, which I love how she says, look at the text right there, is Jesus' father, your father and I. Not to take away from what Jesus is about to say in verse 49, how he has a heavenly father, but if anything, showing there is an earthly adoption of sorts with Jesus and Joseph here, but says they had been stressed and anxiously searching for him. Verse 49, and he, Jesus, said to them, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? The inquisitive son of God, who's been going back and forth with the temple's teachers, now asks back to his mom, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? You may ask if there's defiance here. Is there such thing as non-sinful defiance? I don't believe he's being defiant. I don't believe he's being rude. I believe he's simply making clear that he seeks God independently. He's starting, he's going to seek God independently of his earthly parents, which needs to be true of anyone again at this age. As we are reminded, worship is not for adults only. It's not just for 12-year-olds, for those younger, older, at any age. But in this sense, it also shows 
a profound understanding of his identity and purpose at this age. First, in mentioning my father, which he wasn't talking about Joseph at the time. My father, God. Gerald Bray, a historical theology professor at Knox Theological Seminary, said this. While the Jews of Jesus' day were hesitant to call God their father, and even later angry at Jesus for doing so, Jesus claimed God as his father and taught his followers to do the same. And this is the first time Jesus does this. He mentions God being his father and how he must be with him in his house. Again, I don't believe this is a slight to what Mary is saying about Joseph as his father, although if I'm Joseph, I know maybe a little, little potential hurt there. But recorded by Luke this early in Jesus' life, a recognition of who he truly is and a reminder for us of who our true eternal father can be when adopted into his family after repenting of our sins and having saving faith in Christ who becomes our brother but our savior not only does he mention God being his father he says I must be here I must be here for Jesus at this young age showing that the father's business is his business that it's one and the same and will be more revealed and fulfilled as he starts his miracles and ministry and teaching in which we will study at great length here in the book of Luke. And the last of all, he says that this is the father's house, the temple at this time. I must be at my father's house. And remember everything I said about the temple last week during Jesus's purification ritual and then Simeon's prophecy over him. Remember the temple at this time, it represented the dwelling place for God the center of worship and sacrifice needed for the temporary removing and forgiveness of sins. That it was in the temple at this time that united the tribes of Israel for communal worship. It was the place for intercession that only the priests at the time could perform. That it held certain seasons and times the ark that represented the covenant that God made with his people and that its architecture had deep, deep symbolism. He says, I must be at my father's house and everything that it represented at that time. But do not let this go past you. Also, remember, as we have God's finished and fulfilled word, that we know what the temple is today. That later, Jesus' and God's finished and fulfilled word says that we are his temple. In fact, later he got in trouble for supposedly prophesying the physical destruction of this same temple that he says I'm gonna be, I must be in. When in reality he was talking about his own death and resurrection, but it is through the gospel and what he fulfills in that, that he then, when we receive Christ as our Lord and Savior, the Spirit dwells within us. And it says in 1 Corinthians, we are that. The temple is now us that Jesus must be in. Our individual redeemed, regenerated, justified bodies and souls combined with each other gathering together and sent out on mission. That makes up the place where God and his son dwells. His, Jesus says the head and then the body being us. We are that temple. 
he must be in. Read on with me in verse 50. As this shows our need and God's use of discernment and specifically submissiveness. Verse 50. And they, talking about Mary and Joseph, did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. I'm sure that was like most of their parenting. (laughs) And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. They didn't understand what he said. They were astonished, it says. You could tell they felt slighted of sorts, maybe some emotion after worrying that you lost your child for five days, especially thinking an angel visited him about him, like, now he's gone, you know? Like, and yet, then he submits to them. He went down with them, joined them to go back to Nazareth, and submits to them. He was submissive to them, although perfect, although they did not understand all the things that were about to happen. And yet he obeyed the law, just like we are to obey in the Ten Commandments and beyond, submissive to them at this age and time and beyond. In fact, if there was any perceived defiance here, which again, I don't believe there is, it's intentionally shown here. In his word, Jesus, teenage, perfect son of God, submitted to his parents. Jesus, clean up your room. Yes, mom. Jesus, come help me with this carpentry. Yes, dad. Jesus, go stop your baby brother from biting your sister. Yes. Jesus, will you turn the wine back into water? I mean, come on here. Just kidding. No miracles yet. No miracles. Okay. So that did not happen. But you get the point. He was submissive to his parents in his home, just like teens, kids, you're asked to be. Not only here, as we should know, Jesus' life and part of his role in the Trinity is one of submissiveness, as is the other members of the Trinity, while knowing that the ontological, ontological, I understand it better than I say it, Submissiveness between all members, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It doesn't take away any of their same role, same uh, equalness as God. But they still submitted. And it's important for us to understand this. Listen, church. Submissiveness is not a dirty word. Whether it's regarding complementarianism and marriage or work relationships, or sports, or school, and and church, and of course, ultimately, with God. He places others in our life, certain roles, responsibility, and authority over that we are called to submit, and it brings blessing, it brings protection. Jesus modeled this. When you honor your parents, you honor God. God is going to greatly use parents and others in authority at this age and in other seasons and places and roles. Again, for both blessing and protection. That you are not to submit to any type of leading into sin. 
But again, God uses, and Jesus exemplified how he wants to use submissiveness. And it says here, Mary, Jesus' mother, treasured these things in her heart. I believe she could have still been thinking about the astonishment by Jesus' knowledge and wisdom at that temple. But I also believe it has to do with this submissiveness to them. How these things are treasured even by parents today when teens grow in love and wisdom and guidance of the Lord as they are obedient in their submissiveness. Listen, kids, teenagers, college students, it is treasured because it's used by God and that guidance, that protection, and that blessing. Submit to the Lord as you honor and submit to them. And then like we ended last week, Regarding children, we end this week with teenagers. The only scripture we have as Jesus in this season of life, knowing how crucial it is for us as a church, and especially for you as parents, that during this season, what it looks like with Jesus as a teenager, even if it's just one verse. And so to conclude with verse 52, Jesus is a teenager and some guidance, wisdom, reminders of ministry with teenagers. Verse 52, and Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Let's quickly look at the difference between verse 52 here, Jesus is a growing teenager, and verse 40 that we studied last week. Jesus is a growing child. First, there's similar terminology, similar words, similar actions, but different application in some of those years. First, Jesus is a growing child. I'm remind you, verse 40 of Luke 2. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. What was unique about that text and that verse right there was that Jesus is a growing child, grew and became strong, not mentioned in teen years, yet filled with wisdom and the favor of God was upon him. And then look at verse 52. Now here again today, Jesus is a growing teenager. Jesus increased in wisdom. Before it was filled with wisdom, now increased in wisdom and in stature. That is similar in the same ways as a child when physically growing into adulthood and manhood. But here's the largest difference. Where it says the favor of God was upon him as a growing child. What does it say now here? Increases in favor with God and man. Now we're going to conclude on this. He increased in favor with God and man. If there's anything we know from the, not only the young age of Jesus here, but of those also throughout the scriptures, history and church history, it is that in these years, in this age, you can be used by the Lord and be increased in favor with God and man. Church, parents, teens, college students, listen closely here. We have a history of young people being used greatly by God. From King David, an obscure and over, often overlooked young man who sought God as a teen never looked back, becoming one of the greatest kings used by God who ever lived. From Jeremiah, 
who's known as the weeping prophet, who at the age of, they say, most scholars say, the age of 17, was called by God to be that prophet over Israel. To Daniel, who as a teenager was ripped from his home, forced to live in an anti-God culture that celebrated sex, greed, and indulgence, and yet still stood tall for the Lord, stood up for what was right, and actually in his role and position in government was used by the Lord for others to see who the one true God was. To Mary and Joseph, again, at these ages, in which we've already read about in great detail, being obedient to the Lord. We don't know Timothy's exact age, but most scholars say he was late teens or early 20s when the Apostle Paul first wrote to him in 1 Timothy, saying, do not let others look down because of your age, telling him, again, in the late teens, early 20s, how to deal with false teachers and reminding him how God was going to use his leadership at that age in the church of Ephesus. Beyond Scripture, we see how God has used young people and teens in church history. There's a great article online written by Rick James on the Crew website sharing the historic role of young people in God's global plans, whether it be kind of teenage years or young adult years. From the Reformation to the great revivals and awakenings in America, one particular part of that story that I did not know about in comparison to all the rest was uh, the mention of the mid-17th century pietist movement birthed from young adults and one particular teen who I am familiar with, just did not know some of these additional things with it, a guy by the name of Count von Zizendorf. Try naming your kids that one, okay? This is a guy, that name somewhat sounds familiar. I've quoted him several times, one of my favorite quotes, and also, honestly, worldview. He's the one that had said, preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. And I just love that myself because I know anything of truly myself is worthless. Anything of good and an influence of, uh, is going to be God's grace and of him. And as John the Baptist, let him increase, I decrease, and that just helps me in humility. And of course, as he says that, I'm doing the exact opposite of this right now, but that's okay. Because while at his school as a teenager, he formed a secret society called the Order of the Grain of Mustard Seed, where he and other students and later on professors covenanted together to use their future positions and influence to spread the gospel. Specifically, they committed or covenanted to three things. One, be true to Christ. Two, be kind to all people. Three, send the gospel to the world. And as an adult, Zizendorf reactivated this adolescent society, added to its membership some of the most influential Christians in Europe and America at that time, including among those who bared that ring and mark of membership in that order was the King of Denmark, the Archbishop of Canterbury, the Archbishop of Paris, the Secretary of State for Scotland, and the Governor of Georgia. Not the city, but the, or the state, the country. And this pietist movement was influential to the Christian world in much forming of small group Bible study, of mass printing 
and passing out of Bibles, of modern missions, and even the conversion of John Wesley and a 24-7 prayer movement that began in August of 1727 and encompassed every minute of every hour of the next 100 years. We say, teenagers can't be used by the Lord? Known martyred missionary Jim Elliott was inspired to go to the mission field while learning about past missionaries William Carey and Amy Carmichael as a teenager. And I couldn't but help to think as I was at CrossCon, a conference specifically for 18 to 25-year-olds, but with an emphasis on global missions, as David Platt gave the last message, I had an invitation of sorts of steps to go into global missions, seeing all these, these young adults stand, seeing people pray for them, and the strong encouragement, local church, invest, help. It might not be immediate, but fan the flame and equip. Listen, these ages can be used in great witness and mission. As it says here in the text, Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. And listen, I'm somewhat done with the are you going to send your kids out as lambs among wolves philosophy of sorts. Although I appreciate and don't want to judge the heart behind that, knowing very well that what is out there, the temptation that abounds, which is why it is our job as parents in the church to teach wisdom, to help instill courage. And yes, we will stand before the Lord and how we protect our kids and teenagers. But at the same time, do you not think you're going to stand before the Lord with how you're going to instill a growth in Christ and mission for him as well? At a time that we know and see that all throughout Scripture, people have made great decisions and done great things for the Lord. I believe with all my heart that in those years they can increase in favor with God and man. That this is, as Paul David Tripp has done a great job parents when it comes to parenting teens this book is the best book out there age of opportunity a biblical guide to parenting teens by paul david tripp as this is the age of opportunity for you as parents the church to instill the greatest wisdom courage the importance of the gospel to grow in jesus admission and to be used by jesus and listen church listen parents listen teens when we discourage this, hinder this, not expect this or think it's possible, often it is out of fear, apathy, or idolatry. Fear over faith. Apathy because you're letting the world and the culture disciple them over you. And what do you think is going to happen when they're not in your home anymore? Or idolatry because, let's just be honest, you've made your kids and your family an idol. And you're not trusting the Lord with what he wants to do now, what he wants to do later. Which means you, myself, we are in sin. As church and as parents, and it doesn't matter if you homeschool, private school, public school, 
if you don't think or disciple toward growth in the Great Commission at this age, you will stand before the Lord along with me as this church pastor and a dad of two teenagers right now and two later. I'm so proud of them. We will stand before the Lord and what we teach him. Grow in the Lord in favor with man. And as we know, as we see from his word, there is great opportunity here. Let's not waste that. Let's not waste that. Will you pray with me? And we'll give some instructions for Lord's Supper. Father, again, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for this one only verse. And let us not miss it this morning. Showing a glimpse of Jesus at this age. Being reminded of the opportunity that we have. May our teens now, our, our large kids in ministry that will turn into future teens, may they grow and increase in wisdom and in stature and in favor with you and with man. Will you use us to play a part of that? Again, that the gospel will leave a legacy in future generations. We thank you for what your word this morning revealed about our need and your use of discernment and especially submissiveness as that deals with what we will partake in the Lord's Supper this morning. God, we thank you most probably importantly for what this story starts to reveal about who you are, your true identity, because everything we do and everything we submit to and obey right now, everything we repent of right now, it is because of the truth of you are who you said you are, the Son of God. God as man, man as God, and you came in the gospel. For us to enter a covenant with you, adopt, be adopted into your family, and to be able to live for you forever. Live with you forever. Everything we do, everything we decide, everything we give and live for is because that is true as you start to reveal here. Again, we thank you, Lord, for your word. May we be submissive to it right here, right now. And we pray this in your name, Jesus.